New Year. We hope you're all as excited for 2021 as we are. So for this week's episode, we want to talk about having real adult jobs. Now, since we don't have a lot of experience with those, we're going to be calling in our friends Olivia and Seth. They'll tell us about their career journeys and the decision-making process that they went through to find jobs in the same city. So let's bring them on. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Of course. Our pleasure. Yeah. Everybody, this is Olivia and Seth, or should I say these are Olivia and Seth. Do you guys want to start by telling us a little bit about yourselves? Sure. So I guess I'll start. So I'm Olivia and I grew up in the Philadelphia area and I went to undergrad studying chemistry after having a pretty remarkable high school chemistry teacher who was very encouraging of uh, female scientists. And when I was in college, I was really interested in the pure science side of things. But when I started thinking about career directions and what I wanted to do sort of moving forwards, I wanted to do something that sort of had more of a chance of being applied. And so I applied to material science programs uh, for my PhD. And I ended up going to MIT and studying material science and engineering. And I did work in solar cells for the five years that I was there. And then after grad school, I made a transition, a pretty big transition towards data science and marketing. And now I work as a uh, director of marketing uh, at an advertising agency where our team is very data science focused. And the idea is really to hire scientists to think about difficult problems in advertising. That's very cool. That is really awesome. And so one of the things that Olivia and I immediately bonded over in grad school is that we both majored in chemistry and went into material science. Yeah, when Sarah applied to uh, grad school and was visiting, I remember thinking, this woman has to come because she <laughs> she understands the tra- she will understand the transition from chemistry to material science. And and I'm Seth. Uh, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, I went to Stanford for my undergrad. I studied math. Uh, my whole life, I've uh, absolutely loved uh, math from the time I was, you know, uh, very tiny until uh, now. I guess I'm still relatively tiny, but I'm at least adult size now. Um, and yeah, so I studied math also uh, for my uh, PhD. I was um, at uh, MIT for that. For in graduate school, I was studying a pretty, um, I was doing pure mathematics. It was, uh, you know, useless uh, math generally in the uh, realm of abstract algebra. Um, But since then, I, so I still basically do math, but now I uh, do math in the business world. Uh, So I work uh, in the finance industry and I do mathematical modeling uh, that's used in systematic trading systems. Oh. And Sarah, do you want to tell us about how you how you came to know Olivia? Yeah, yeah. So, well, you guys both, um, Olivia, you and Seth, both were one year ab- above or older than us in grad school, right? So yeah. they both graduated the year before we did. So Olivia and I were in the same department. And then I got to know Seth through Olivia. Mm-hmm. Um, but Olivia and I w- um, shared an office for a number of years or a couple of years in grad school. Yeah, <laughs> I think I started dating Sarah towards the end of that time. 
So there was not a lot of overlap between you guys sharing an office and me coming to that office. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think the four of us were in the same room maybe once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, that's right. So after, Olivia, after you graduated and your desk was empty, a lot of times Akshay would come and, <laughs> and have my desk. <laughs> and I'm sure that I sat in Sarah's chair. Oh, Seth probably sat in your chair many, many times. That's true. During all the times I was off doing not grad school related things. <laughs> exactly. And Seth was clearly not doing grad school related things because he was in your yes. office. <laughs> so, do you guys want to tell us more about how you met? Yeah. So we were very efficient. We are extremely efficient. So we met, I guess, before classes started, when we first came to grad school, we had a orientation dance. And Seth is not usually one to go to dances, but decided that he was going to live on the edge and do new things in grad school. So he came to the grad school dance and I do like dances. So I went to the grad school dance. Um, and we had a mutual friend, somebody from my department had met Seth at the gym and so brought Seth over to meet the people from the material science department who had started to meet from orientation activities. Mm -hmm. You did some sort of cute underwater dance move and the rest was history. Mm -hmm. A funny story about the first night that we met that I at least remember is that we were, we ended up hanging out at the dance and then we were going back to our dorm and we lived in the same dorm, but on different floors. And when we were in the elevator and it gets to my floor and I go to get out and it's me and Seth and some random guy in the elevator. And as I step out, Seth goes, oh, do you mind if I have your number so that, you know, in case we, you know, have other group activities or whatever. And the other guy was getting out of the elevator and he goes, good luck. And then walks away. <laughs> I think his tone was a little more negative than that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. But I did have good luck. Yeah. That's a great story. And by the way, I just want to say here for anyone out there listening, if you're in like high school and you're thinking, okay, by the time I get to grad school, there will be no more dances. Unfortunately, <laughs> there are still school dances in grad school. You thought that you were done on your senior prom. No, there's more. Very much optional though. Mm -hmm. Optional, right. That's yeah. a good point. I think but we recommend going because you never know mm -hmm. <laughs> your future spouse. 100% yep. true. And so you guys recently got married, right? Yes. Yeah. We have now. For some appropriate definition of recently. We've been married now for a year and a half. That's awesome. Yeah. I think it's awesome. Did you agree? I, I agree that it is awesome. Good. So can you guys tell us kind of from your experience of like, being in a relationship from like kind of the very start of grad school did that I don't want to say like how was that because obviously I'm sure it was great but like <laughs> did that impact like your work-life balance or I, I think it definitely impacted our work-life balance at least there was a very different work-life balance that I struck in graduate school as I did as an undergrad I agree. Um, and uh, so it's possible that that was just circumstance or maturity um, but <laughs> Uh, in in undergrad, I worked a lot and I worked very strange hours. You know, I'd be doing math problem sets until, you know, who knows what in the middle of the night. Um, and in, in graduate school, we, you know, developed kind of very kind of respectable yeah. adult domestic uh, kind of habits. Uh, you know, we, um, you know, would get up in the morning and we'd go to our, you know, jobs essentially as graduate students for some, you know, reasonable nine to five kind of hours, you know, for her, maybe more like 
eight to six. And for me, maybe more like 11 to three. Yeah. I was way more balanced in grad school than undergrad. And a huge part of that was because I had Seth that I had, not that when I was, you know, single in undergrad that I didn't have a reason to stop working, but, but I definitely did have a reason in grad school to stop working when dinner time came because it was either go eat without me or I can, you know, wrap up what I'm doing in the lab. And the nice thing about working in the lab is that I couldn't bring it home. So I would go home and then I would spend the evening with Seth and felt like it was, it wasn't just me that was losing out if I decided to just keep working having each other through grad school, I think just sort of filled things out in a really nice way that, that balanced some of the stress and whatever of qualifying exams. I was about to mention and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We want to clarify for people listening what calls are. Yeah. So in grad school, some departments make you go through a grueling <laughs> exam that tests a bunch of like, I don't know, knowledge you're supposed to have gained in the previous couple of years and then you're qualified to receive your PhD. It's a thing that actually a lot of departments are getting rid of recently. So that's been a really cool trend to see. Yeah, Yeah, qualifying exams is a very stressful part of grad school for those who go through the qualifying exams. And having two bodies in that time period was quite helpful. Did you find it challenging to like transition to having that kind of schedule from undergrad where you didn't? Because I know that I, um, at the start of grad school, very much had that same kind of schedule of like working till, you know, eight hours at night. And then, and I would not do that. I would feel really guilty that, oh, I'm not working hard enough. So did you face any challenges in that transition? I think I might have some weird physiological disorder where I only age every 23 years. So for me, <laughs> something strange happened and I just became instantaneously an old man, or at least a middle-aged man. Um, and, you know, my tolerance for alcohol went to zero and my, you know, tolerance for not getting a solid nine hours of sleep went to zero. And um, I'm sorry, so, eating prunes. Yeah, <laughs> okay, <laughs> well yeah so I, I don't know. For me, um, I don't know if that was a result of graduate school or you. Um, For me, it was or... definitely graduate school. I made a very clear, when I graduated from undergrad, I said, like, graduate school is the next five years of my life. And I am not going to, I'm not just going to wait those five years to start living. And I felt like in undergrad, I was waiting those four years to start living, that I was, I was just working to do what I needed to do to be successful. And I, I definitely very clearly went to grad school and went, okay, I'm going to try and do it. I'm going to try and just like have a life. So we kind of talked about your work-life balance in grad school. So in transitioning to actually having jobs, how did that change? When we first went to the office, because in grad school, there's something about being a grad student where you can, even when we were doing pretty regimented days, you're like alone in your office or the lab doing what it is that you've decided you want to do that day. You're accountable only to yourself. Yeah. And it was exhausting. When we first went in to do our work daily, we took the train, you know, in New York city down to our midtown jobs and got into the building and then had to be on in front of people all day and came home. Even if that's only a seven and a half hour work day with a lunch break, it was, it was still gruelingly exhausting. Well, you come home and be like, how is this so exhausting to just... I think some graduate students worked very, very hard, but I think I I didn't. I think, <laughs> and there were a few 
I mean, I, I think I was perfectly productive, um, but particularly since I was working in pure math, um, you know, anything that I produced, you know, there was no, there was no listening to music, pipetting stuff in lab. There was no, I need to write this piece of code and I know what it is. It was just, you know, pulling proofs of stuff out of the ether, right? And so if I'm functioning, you know, on all cylinders, then I'll get good work done. And if I'm functioning on all but one, you know, cylinder, then I will work at some much lower uh, level of efficiency. So my general attitude was, you know, to assess my kind of <laughs> state. And if I felt good, I would do math. And otherwise I would just like watch, watch Netflix or something. <laughs> <laughs> I watched a lot of documentaries. Um, so, and then, you know, in the work world, of course, if you feel only 95% good at, you know, 1.15 p.m. at work, you're still kind of expected to uh, be at you know, work, <laughs> stick it out for the rest of the work day. Um, but you get used to it really quickly. It was like for the first two weeks, we were exhausted by months. our work days. Um, and then and then it just becomes more. And now I work like 12 hour days and somehow manage to not trying to work on that. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel a little bit lucky that my first um, actual job after grad school is going to be remote. Like even aside from the pandemic, um, it's just a remote company right now. Uh, yeah. So I'm not going to have to deal with a commute. And I, if I want to start working at nine, I could technically wake up at like eight 45. <laughs> yep. And now it's time for a brief commercial break. My friend Pranathi Mathur does really awesome customized cards and paintings, so whatever design you want, she can make it happen. You can check out her Instagram page, which is Crafted by Pranathi. That's all one word, and that's spelled P-R-A-N-A-T-I. She also has an Etsy shop of the same name. I met Pranathi while she was a graduate student, and we were both attending a student government conference, actually, at Syracuse. So anyway, you should definitely check out her work. It's all super beautiful and message her for all of your customized art needs. So could you guys tell us some more about the transition from grad school to your jobs? Like what were the decisions you made to, to come to your current jobs and what was that yeah. process? So we started thinking about what we wanted to do probably in our, seriously in our fourth year. We for me, were, it was earlier for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess all through grad school, we were thinking, what do we want to do? I went into grad school thinking for sure I was going to stay in academia. I think largely I, I did as it well. Too. Yeah. Um, well, I, in pure mathematics, you're being trained for one and only one thing, <laughs> which is yeah. pure math in academia. Um, and then at some point, relatively early, yeah, first or probably second year in graduate school, um, the the thought actually like dawned on me that at one point graduate school would end. And I didn't know anything about anything outside of the math world. I had never done, you know, one minute of anything else. Um, so I did an internship and that was after my third year. So yeah. I was thinking seriously about it in my third year, seriously enough in the beginning of my third year to apply for that. Um, and that it happened to be in finance really just came from the fact that, uh, the finance industry seems kind of uniquely interested in hiring uh, useless mathematicians and useless <laughs> theoretical physicists and so on. I'm not sure why, um, but more so than in many other industries. And therefore, when I look around the department and I ask people, you know, what are people doing with our kinds of background? Uh, one of the very common answers I got outside of academia was finance. Yeah. And then that definitely influenced my process. So 
at the beginning of grad school, I was thinking that I would go into academia, but as sort of grad school progressed and I thought about what it meant to go into academia as I got a better understanding of what it, of what it meant, I wanted to consider my options and I also wanted to have something where my location could be a little bit more in my control. So one of the things that anybody in academia probably knows all too well is that where you live is a little bit determined by what lab it is that you end up getting a position in. Um, and that is then going to be temporary if you decide to stay in academia, because you probably are not going to stay in the lab that you do a postdoc in uh, when you become like, you're not going to stay at that same university, probably when you become a professor. And so I was looking for more stability. I also felt that I, when I went into grad school, I loved doing lab work and I looked at it as like, I really liked cooking and it was like doing cooking, but more interesting because I was making nanoparticles, which I noticed uh, from episode one of this podcast that Sarah, you were also making nanoparticles before transitioning to material science. Um, And I really liked it. I thought that, you know, it was super fun and interesting and I like studying science. I like talking about science. I liked working in lab and by my last year, particularly of grad school, but before that even, I found that I love to think about what I was going to do in lab and make a plan for wouldn't it be cool to see if X works. But then I really didn't want to be the person to spend the next 16 hours of time at the glove box, which for those who don't know what a glove box is, if you've ever seen the opening scene of The Simpsons where Homer Simpson is uh, working with radioactive material and he puts his hands into these gloves into a box. Um, I spent a lot of my time in grad school with my hands in gloves inside of a box and, and found that I wasn't really looking to continue that. And so I was trying to think then what does that mean? Because even going outside of academia, most industry jobs in my field would be actually even more so doing lab work because that's what we have all been trained to do. And Seth had done this internship that he liked and really most of the opportunities there were in New York. There are not a lot of glove boxes in New York uh, because there's not a lot of labs in New York because space is very expensive and labs are usually spacious. And, And I ended up just in the job that I got by chance, I had taken some computer science classes and I I'd started doing some simulations of my of my experimental work, and I really liked that aspect because it was much more the thinking part and less the um, measuring things part. And yeah, I was out to dinner with a friend of mine. Said I would love to do something that's sort of a data science type job, but I'm not really qualified to do a data science job. I ended up talking to her sister who worked in marketing, where they were looking to hire people who were interested in data science, but they had a role for people who were basically in training. And I ended up in that role and learned a lot of what I needed to learn on the job. But that was sort of, and honestly, part of it was too, that it was five blocks away from where Seth did his internship. And it seemed a little bit like fate to be offered a job five blocks away from where Seth did his internship. And it worked out quite well. And do you guys have any advice for other people who are trying to find jobs in the same geographical location, um, like out of either out of college or out of grad school or at any point in their lives? I my piece of advice was is to be open minded about what it is that you're qualified to do, what it is you may like to do 
and to remember that there's going to be some set of jobs that you have heard of a million times or that you know people who have done, but there are 10 million more out there that you haven't heard of or that you don't have a direct person that you know uh, having done it. And it's worth just keeping your eyes open and your ears open and being willing to consider things that maybe you hadn't heard about before. So, and you're qualified, probably whoever's listening to this, you're qualified for a lot more than you think you're qualified for. And so I guess another piece there is um, as people are trying to, as people who sign anyone who might be listening, they're trying to figure out jobs in a particular location or in a particular industry. Do you guys also have advice for people who are in a two-body problem in that, in that scenario? Well, definitely the re- remaining open-minded part is <laughs> something that I would double down on if you have two people working together. I think, you know, being sympathetic to your partner's experience of it is really important. So realizing what it looks like from their point of view, where your joint priorities lie. We, so, were, we were also lucky to solve a constrained one body problem rather than an unconstrained two body problem. Can you uh, explain what that means? So I had already, of course we could have decided not. We agreed early on to constrain it. Uh, because I had, I found my job first and we both uh, decided that it was a good job and it was probably worth me taking and that the universe of options was large know, in the New York area was large enough um, that it made sense for me to, you know, plant the, yes. yeah, the flag in the ground or whatever it is there. Uh, and then for Olivia to um, look in, you know, in, in for, for a job which was compatible geographically with that job, yeah. as opposed to, for example, if there's a couple that they're, pursuing academia, they're not going to have that luxury. They're going to have to apply to postdocs in, you know, 60 different cities and then hope that, you know, they get into an overlapping one. Right. I would say also we balanced priorities in the sense that like we agreed for my sake that we would live on the East coast near my family, which made it way easier for me to then agree to Seth gets a job on the East coast. It's a good job. We're both happy to say, go ahead and accept it. And then I'm happy to go look for a job. So it was very much a, you know, figuring out how to check the boxes we had to check the ones that were most important to us to compromise where we were, where we were willing to compromise where it wasn't required that, you know, Seth was okay with saying he'll live on the East Coast, even though he has family out on the West Coast, I was okay with saying, We'll live in New York City. I don't have a job in New York City. I don't, I've only ever gone to New York City on school field trips in middle school. Um, And yeah, I think trying to figure out where you have your hard, you know, I am going to be disappointed if X, like I'm going to feel like I gave up something I wasn't really giving, willing to give up if we don't do this given thing. Establishing those and then working off of there and figuring out where there's flexibility. And for us, that worked out very well because I have no hard feelings about us moving to New York um, because I felt like it was decided together. It was in part chosen based on constraints that I had. Um, and yeah, we were 90 minutes from your family. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. It's really interesting to me that it seems like all four of us when we started grad school, being, a, being in academia was like, seemed like the only thing that we would end up yeah. doing. And I know that for both for the two of us, 
now that we are also like pivoting away from that, um, we often talk about, oh, should we really be like giving up on it? Uh, can we, do, what if we want to go back later? Did yeah. you have, have feelings like that or not really? I mean, of course, yeah. I think that that's a natural thing. I've, you know, spent plenty of years thinking, assuming that's the direction I would go in. Uh, and there's tons of things I love about academia and there's tons mm -hmm. of things that I miss. And there's also tons of things that are fantastic about, you know, the world outside of academia that I've, you know, discovered and enjoyed since. So, you know, I'm sure there'll be moments again in my life when I have, you know, a, a nostalgic what if. Um, but I certainly don't have any, I definitely don't have any regrets. Um, yeah, I, I definitely am glad not to be working in a lab anymore. As much as for many years, I enjoyed it. I don't find myself wanting to go back into a lab. I do miss academia in many ways. And I think part of it is that we had such a great time in grad school. And so part of it is just like, what is academia and what is just the exactly. our experience of grad school? So like, I definitely miss grad school in many ways. And we might just miss our twenties. And we might, yeah, we might just miss um, being young and in love. I could imagine, uh, you know, in, in 20 years or something, uh, you know, I, I love math and I love teaching. Uh, so mm -hmm. it, it's possible that I may want um, teaching to come back into my life uh, in some way at some point. Did, I'm interested to know, did either of you receive any form of pushback from either like an advisor or people in the department for not continuing in academia? Because I know in a lot of people's situations in grad school, it's like that it prepares you to continue in academia and there can be a lot of pressure to stay. I was terrified about that. Um, and I know of stories where people decided to leave mathematics uh, and ran into serious problems with their um, advisors, you know, advisors refusing to write letters of recommendation, even though they had written glowing letters of recommendation for academic positions and things of that flavor. Um, but I had none of that. Turns out uh, I was co-advised. Both of my advisors, um, they're just fantastic, fantastic, fantastic mathematicians and fantastic humans. And, you know, when it came to it, they were both disappointed and they, but not even in a, not in a way that made me feel bad. They both, you know, said that they, you know, supported my academic career and that they, you know, we're hoping that I would stick with that. Um, but they were 100% supportive of my decision. And um, so that was, uh, that was totally fine. I did get some snarky comments from peers in my department, uh, as people were, you know, deciding, you know, among their different postdoc offers and so on. And people would ask me where I was going. And I'd say, I'm going to, you know, such and such financial company. Uh, and, you know, some people did not look highly on that, which I thought was a little silly. I got it more pushback's not the right word, but I definitely got um, encouragement to stay in academia and reminders of the options for me to stay in academia. And I remember after my defense being sort of told, like, you know, it, if you want to come back to academia, or if there's still room for you to consider, and it was all in a very positive way, it definitely made me feel a little bit like it, it made me think, am I making the right decision by leaving? Cause I, I appreciate the encouragement, but it also then was just a, you know, somebody saying to some degree, at least that they disagreed with what I was deciding to do. Yeah. 
And just for context, the idea is that like, if you want an academic job, like as a professor, after grad school, you can't really take a break where you do something else. And then say, okay, I've worked for this company for three years, I would like to be a professor now, for whatever reason, even if you have been following up following all the latest research and things, they think you're just out of the loop. And it's just very, very unlikely that you'll get hired in an academic position, at least um, for experimental sciences. I don't know, Seth, if that's your like in pure math, if that's Oh, I mean, pure math and people never do anything else the whole time ever. Yeah, Uh, I do think there are some fields, for example, uh, you know, in in the business school, I think it'd be very likely that, you know, many people. And there's a a small handful of industry jobs that you could take that are essentially postdocs in industry that Mm -hmm. would allow you to come back where you're doing research or contributing to your field. Right. But those are very specific cases. PhD in machine learning, you go work with Google Brain and then you, yeah, there's this kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but doing things like we did, definitely, like the door, I I remember being told that I could come back if I did so, like, I had a one-year window, basically. Yeah. Much and, easier to exit than to come back. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. So, I, you know, if, if I'm going to spend a few years working in, like, the education field, then there is very, very little chance <laughs> I could ever go back to the lab um, if I wanted to. And I think that's it's kind of a stressful thing to have to decide because how do I know what I'm going to want to do in three years, but you're making that decision right out the door of grad school when you choose to leave academia. Yeah. It's a very stressful thing in that. I, like we were just saying, it's very easy to go in one direction and not the other. So the temptation is to not leave academia because you can always leave. And I think that some people end up doing postdocs to sort of try to figure things out. But honestly, at least from my experience, you don't know what working looks like until you work outside of academia. And so you're sort of taking a leap of faith that you'll find something out there that's interesting once you decide to leave. Is there anything that we didn't touch upon that you wanted to talk about? One thing I guess I could say is that um, I remember... When, as we were trying to make these decisions and figure out the solution to our two-body problem, uh, it was, you know, sometimes very stressful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the future looked very uncertain uh, and it was scary to think about, you know, possibilities where something didn't work out well for one or both of us and just how we would uh, handle it. Um, so I would just say that there's, um, at the end of every tunnel, there is light uh, and people should be optimistic. Yeah, it sounds way easier when you see how it worked out to go, oh, well, it was easy and it worked out. But when you're in the middle of it, Mm -hmm. even if it sounds like other people have it all figured out and you're trying to figure it out for yourself, it's worth remembering that always looks easier when other people are doing it. And any of this stuff where you're trying to figure out what you're going to do, how you're going to do it together is just hard. Yeah. I feel like we have a short-term solution to our two-body problem for now. (laughs) yeah we'll we'll figure out long term short-term solutions are great because they give you time to figure out a long-term solution i think that was all of the questions that we had for you guys um thank you so much for joining us this was a lot of fun and i think it was really valuable insight that you guys had 
Um, so yeah, we're really happy that you could join us. Yeah, Our thank pleasure. You. Thank, thank you, you for, for having, having us. us. That was so informative. Thanks again, you guys, for telling us more about the ways of the working adult. And before we go, we want to start doing calls to action at the end of each episode, which are different actions that we can all take to make a difference in our communities or educate ourselves about different issues. This week's episode was about jobs, which is something that both of us are very lucky to have during a pandemic. So if you're someone who has a stable situation during the pandemic, you could consider donating part of your stimulus check. I donated to the International Institute of New England, which is an organization that creates opportunities for refugees and immigrants to succeed through resettlement, education, career advancement, and pathways to citizenship. And I actually used to volunteer for them. They're a really awesome organization. So that's all for today. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the Two Body Problem Pod and Twitter at Two Body Prop Pod. That's the word two T W O. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.